The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world for another week of real estate here in New York. I'm sitting here this morning with Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, and Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Morning. So let's talk about the weather, and let's talk about how, <laughs> literally, let's talk about the weather, <laughs> and let's talk about how it's affecting our marketplace, uh, I think, positively the past couple of weeks, because we've had some, I've at least had some very slow open houses, but what I've noticed uh, recently is that it's kicked up a little bit. People are out there. Now, I don't know how serious people may be uh, from a buy perspective, but I at least see that people are moving around, and moving around means they're looking, they're attending open houses, they're making appointments. Could we bump that up a little bit? I think so. Again, talking from my own personal business. So how what are you guys seeing in in your business? Because I think the buzz these days is, you know, how we've kind of leveled off a little bit in a transition kind of mode. And we spin our wheels, I think, every day trying to explain to both sellers and buyers and renters and other agents, you know, about really what's happening. So sometimes I'm not quite sure I know what is happening. I'm, what are you experiencing? Uh, I'm I'm definitely seeing if things are if there's even a hint that something's a little overpriced, it's a little quieter. Mm-hmm. If something's like, we just put something on the market, a uh, condo, one bedroom, 800 square feet, and it was on, we put it on for about 800,000, and we had 25 groups of people at the, at the open house. That's a wonderful know? price. Wonderful price. It is in an area that doesn't you know, always get as much, uh, but it's in, it's in the Murray, Murray Hill area, you know, um, great, great area, but not quite the West Village, Soho, et cetera. But, I'm just fine. Then we have some other things. Actually, it's more I'm representing buyers and we're going to these open houses and they're dead, you know? And these, but they're high. They're high priced. And I think there was like, Sellers were looking at, and so were brokers representing sellers, looking at the the line, the uptrend in how prices were going. And prices aren't still going on that same upline, you know? So they might say, so let's say they're putting something on the market and they're pricing it three, four percent you know, ahead of where it was a few months ago. You can't do that anymore. And I think that's the problem. So you have to just adjust the realities of the market. So that's what I'm saying. Let's peel that back a little bit because it's, you know, it's interesting. You know, pricing is really, it's an art and it's a science. I mean, it depends on what kind of market we're in. But, you know, help our listeners understand, uh, especially the local listeners, Phil, as you indicated, you know, in, in, a, in a quiet market or a transitional market or a market where we're still trying to, you know, get our balance here, why is it that the price is so important? Because when it, it turns on a dime, which it usually does, and it gets to be a much more robust marketplace, it's not like price doesn't matter, but it's almost like price doesn't matter. Right. You know, people yeah. want something and they're just going to buy it. So why all of a sudden in a quiet market do people 
absolutely flip out over something that they perceive or actually maybe too high? What is it that, that, that goes through a buyer's mind? Because I think we all experience this. Well, first of all, I don't know if it's a quiet market. I think that's. I think it's more of a transitional market, but I would definitely say that when there is a lot of product to look at, there are a bunch of apartments that buyers are interested in. They create two images in their mind. They have a range in terms of price, and they have their ceiling. And given that ceiling, sorry, given that ceiling, um, they will never go anywhere above it, even if it's fifteen thousand, because they already feel that ceiling is very high for them. There's also that, and I was thinking about this as I was coming in this morning, is even though we still have low inventory, if you have a building, a listing in a building that has financial requirements that are a little more difficult Mm -hmm. than usual. For Mm -hmm. instance, I have a wonderful two-bedroom that's been on the market for a while. It is a convertible two, but it's really the size of a large two-bedroom, where the building only allows the build. The building only allows um, cell phones. I'm sorry. She's busy. You know what? It's a new broker. No, I know who that is. But you know, it's a it's a new phone. I don't know how to put it on mute, which I usually do. So uh, I yeah, apologize. Yeah. Anyway, um, but the building only allows sixty percent financing, mm-hmm. and people, especially first time buyers who might be looking at this, really hesitate. And then they say, "Well, what kind of liquid assets does the building want to see afterwards?" And they're hesitating. Even twenty five percent down. It it, def- yeah. it completely changes a buyer's whole, yes. you know, way of thinking and way of approaching it. So I agree. Yeah, it, it's just interesting because, like I said, I've been in this business for a long time, as a lot of you have been, and you know, you just look around at the different months that fly by, the different markets that pass by, and you just wonder what makes buyers and or sellers tick. And it's interesting because some of these listings will sit on the market for a long time, which. You you look around and there's you know greater than ninety days, one hundred and twenty days on the market, but yet when you try to explain to sellers that they need to come down in price a little bit because the market isn't responding the way it used to, it's always such a very hard conversation. And I'm and I I sometimes feel with all the experience I've had and all the things that you know I've done in this business, new development sales included. How do you get through to people who don't necessarily want to understand that it's really about the price, as as you said, Phil? This is a really interesting thing that I go through with all of my sellers, especially being on the younger side of my career and talking to agents about how to go about speaking to sellers and, you know, pitching listings because I'm always completely honest and transparent and go with how I feel about the apartment and the pricing Um, because I'm not going to overprice an apartment if the seller is looking for too much money honestly I'd rather let it go mm-hmm. and I'd rather them go with someone else and it's happened a few times that they go with someone else overpriced it it, it sits there for a couple months and then they come back to me and they say you were right on the pricing can can we go back to what you were saying and I think it's really I, I'd rather have that conversation with the seller right up front before they even put it on the market about the price and how important it is to price it correctly instead of two or three months in having to talk about, oh, it's slow. Because then you only, you know, hopefully you didn't promise them something. But let me, I'll get you in a second. But but (laughs) let me, Matt, let me ask you something because I think we've all experienced this too and this is really important. I 100% agree with you in, in being transparent right up front and trying to explain to the seller whatever market you're in, that this is the right price, et cetera. But let me ask you something, because we see this all the time. When you do tell the seller what the price should be, and say it's $100,000 less than they want, 50, whatever the number is, and they'll dig in and say, no, that's not what I want, 
I, I find sometimes that brokers will will ultimately take that listing at the higher price because they want the listing. They don't want to lose it to somebody else. That in itself is not good business practice because I think what we should all do is kind of, you know, agree that this is the price. This should be the price. That's it. You know, Vince, can I just uh, speak to that? So I think there's a balance in between somewhere mm-hmm. because, look, uh, a seller has an idea what the price is. And we're not God as a or, broker, or, or what the price was. What the price was, and we're not necessarily right, and we're not necessarily God as a broker either. Sometimes we don't know, but the the best way to do it, I always find, isn't to just say I'm not taking the listing at that price. I'm sorry, right. is to say, look, we could try it at your price for a little while, okay? But here is what I believe, based on all the data that I have. Here is where I believe the listing's going to sell, and based on what the data is telling me. So why don't we agree? We'll put it on the price you'd like to, give it a couple of weeks. Right. Hey, I, I right. just say to them, you know what? I hope you're right because if you get a great price, we're all happy. Right. I hope that you're right. But the data doesn't seem to suggest that. Let's put it on. Let's monitor what's going on. I'll give you tremendous feedback. I'll be communicating with you what people are saying, how many people come to the open house. And then let's revisit it in a few weeks. And that, I think, is a more productive conversation because let's face it, we don't want some other broker also to get the listing and then a month later they change the price. Well, so right. we really just want to have, the, just want to be honest and transparent with the seller. Now, if the seller says, absolutely not, not I don't even want to talk to you, that price is crazy, you're crazy, you know, then okay, you have to have a realistic. But I do think there's a world in which there's a balance in between. You know? yeah, you want I, to say I, I agree. I agree. I will. I'll t- <laughs> <laughs> That's what you said before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So to talk about what Phil said hold, and what Vince hold that said. Thought. We'll get there. So, so first of all, Phil said, I agree. If, if the seller and I are, are off in pricing a little bit, I will either come to the middle with them and agree, or I will say to them, Let's give it two weeks because I firmly believe that in the market that we're in, you're going to see all your real buyers within the first two weeks on the market, especially two open houses. And if we don't get any offers, you have to agree to lower it to this. And those will be my terms. Um, and to what you said, like I said, I, I if it's reasonable, mm-hmm. I will come in the middle with mm-hmm. them. I just yeah. don't want it to be unrealistic because I, I hate to be harsh, but it's a waste of the seller's time. It's a waste, it's a waste of, of our time. Everyone's time. You know, we want to put our best foot forward for these right. people. Deborah, I agree with all of you, but <laughs> what I think has to be mentioned here also, and I think we all do this, we will not take overpriced listings. We'd rather let it go. We do have the discussion about if it's... Uh, if we think it's a little ambitious, drop it mm. after two to three weeks, something mm-hmm. like that. But my concern right now, we were all chatting about this before we went on air, is what if the market did shift while you have the listing and you really did price it right and the seller was on board and you were on board and this was so Absolutely. exciting. Everything shifted and it is in certain segments. At the same time, um, I never ask my seller their bottom line. I don't want to know it mm-hmm. because I don't want to lie to buyers with or without brokers right. and say, well, here's their bottom line or I don't know their bottom line. No, I really don't know their bottom line. I don't want to know because I believe the bottom line shifts. But I've but I've seen in two of my listings recently, the owners actually said, well, this is my bottom line. I have to make this much because I have to do da 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 whatever. And it won't happen at this price because the market for them did shift a little bit. And that's my concern now. Are you now. guys at all seeing where, because that's very true, Deborah, but are you guys at seeing at all where sellers are saying, okay, so 
regardless of my criteria or my needs or whatever, I, I can't achieve that price based on your professional you know, advice. Are you seeing where they're saying that, all right, then I'm going to not put it on the market right now. I'm going to sit it out and wait to maybe when the market gets a little stronger because I really do need, if I sell my place, I really do need to have that certain number. Okay. Are you seeing anybody pulling back? I have not yet. They're, they're still wanting to go I out on market. I have two right now. Waiting. Yes. Okay. Well, to answer your question and to go back to what Deborah said about the um, just in, in terms of if the market shifts, um, I think it's just all situational. It's, it's every seller is completely different. Right. You know, some sellers, um, you know, maybe it's an investment property and then the market's good and they want to, you know, make a decent amount of money on it. But maybe it's, you know, a couple who just had a baby and they have to have more space and they really have to sell right now because in that situation, I would say that no matter what the market does, you have to have that talk with them about where they need to be because they have to sell right now. So I think it's all situational. Do you know what I'm finding interesting? One second, Pearl. One, one thing I'm finding very interesting is the people who stand to gain the most profit based on what they originally bought the apartment for, based on what they can sell it today, even not at an inflated price, but at the right price today, those are the ones that are giving me the most difficult time because they're going to make so much money on the sale at today's price anyway, but they're digging in saying no, because a year ago I could have gotten $100,000 more. And it's like, do you really need that $100,000, number one? And number two, well, that's not a year ago. Anyway, Perul, go ahead before we go to break. I'm sorry. And to Phil's to a great degree is just that ultimately it's just about having a, a, a managing expectations conversation up front. And it's about understanding as a broker, which I believe that, you know, the great brokers really know this stuff. And many brokers, unfortunately, I don't think keep on top of sort of market drivers and what's really going on and what's fueling the market and being on top of what pretty much global drivers of how this market is affected. Um, And if you are on top of that and you can have an intelligent conversation with your seller, uh, explaining to them sort of here is what we are seeing in the market right now in the last four months in the last year therefore I think this is the right price then if the market shifts and if you can clearly show them what the drivers are and how things have fluctuated then you still come across generally speaking sounding like the person who's consistently been at least sharing the truth and giving them all the information that they need to make accurate decisions all right everybody we have to go to break Uh, you are listening to good morning New York on the voice America variety channel we will be right back don't go away Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. So moving on, uh, we didn't need another report to confirm that which is already known. Renting in Manhattan is prohibitively expensive. But thanks to Forbes, we've got one anyway. The publication took a look at the biggest metropolitan areas around the country and ranked the 10 best and worst based on a variety of criteria, including the vacancy rate, average monthly rent, and the year-over-year change for that number to determine the 10 best and worst cities for renters. And to no one's surprise, Manhattan is at the top of the worst list with a perfect storm of terribleness causing that high ranking. At $4,374, the average monthly rent on the island is higher than any any other city on the list, according to data provided by real estate firm Marcus and Millicap, the vacancy rate is also extremely low. And while rents haven't risen that much year over year, and in fact have been dropping in the past few <clears throat> months, they're <clears throat> still damn high. So, Mr. Leasebreak.com, <laughs> Bill Horrigan, what's the deal? I, first of all, that study bothers me a little bit. There's something quite, there's a little, something off on the study. Here's what I mean. First of all, right now, uh, the vacancy rate is still the highest it's been in like nine years. The mm. rental market, as you know, is down year over year for the first time, I think, in, a, in several quarters, maybe Absolutely. even a couple of years. But the other thing is, in that article, you didn't mention it, but there's something about how New Yorkers spend on average 70% of their income on rent. Now, Correct. we all know that landlords are really strict about the 40, 66%. 66%, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't even, I mean, yes, it's high here. It's definitely higher than average, but I just cannot see how it's 66%. Don't forget that our landlords are all, for at least any broker type of apartment where brokers representing somebody, the landlords re- require 40 times the rent. Right. I mean, so if you do the math on that, that's going to get you like 30, 40%. So I don't know how you get to the average being 70% because that would imply that while all our apartments are, that we do with landlords are like, you know, 30 or 40%, and to get to an average of 70%, that means all the other ones are like 90 to 100%. So there's something that's just not right about that study. But rents are crazy. It's New York City. They're still high. But I don't think we're at some just unbelievable crazy level right now. You know? We just did a rental, too, and uh, our, our renter was comfortably over the 40 times multiplier, as you indicated, and our landlord, our, our owner, it's a condominium privately owned, was still a little on the fence with wanting to accept him, and I'm like, why? Why, why? why? You know, what What are you thinking about? Well, you know, he's, he's, he, and he said, he used my words, he's comfortably over, but you know, he's only in his job two years and he's this and he's that. And I'm like, I should, should I would have told that guy to go move into a co op. <laughs> I was kind of dumbfounded and I thought, well, okay, so, but he's young out of college. He's starting his career. He clearly can afford it. He has money in the bank. So, you know, you know, based on the conversation we had just before the break on how, you know, uh, sellers aren't necessarily being reasonable, here's a situation where um, uh, an owner of a condominium wanting to rent it and we bring a very qualified person, it's almost like they're looking for that gold bar in every transaction. And it does sometimes exist and sometimes it doesn't. But this kid... Really is quality. We were doing the deal, by the way. But they had a good credit score, though. Absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. He was just a little freaked out over the fact that he's he's just starting out his career and he's only two years in his job. But again, the multiplier was 
way over. I mean, I think way, everyone, way sometimes an individual owner I found from my experience, they bring a lot of their own biases. Like we all Absolutely. have our own biases. So maybe he had a situation Absolutely. or a friend where there's someone just out of college and they destroyed the apartment. I mean, who knows what the situation was, but that's why they rely on a professional's help, a broker's help to say, look, you look at these five pieces of data and from our experience, when you look at these five pieces of data and they all check out, you tend to have a really good tenant. And by, and by the way, you know, when you're talking about condominiums like this particular deal is, there are associated condominium uh, application fees that are, are extremely higher than regular rental buildings. So given that and taking that into consideration that this, this person can afford all of that, plus the broker fee, mm-hmm. plus the first month's rent and last month's rent, it's like you hooked somebody, keep them on that hook. Um, I don't. I don't want to get too much on a tangent, but I just want to say one thing that I'm seeing coming up more and more. It's now happened to two of my landlords. Is that someone is renting the apartment, and seeming seemingly on good faith, and their intention is to rent it out on Airbnb. And I don't want to get too far. So not that your owner was concerned about that, but I have now had some owners, even though everything's checking wow. out their qualifications, they're saying. Well, how do we know this guy's not just doing it to you know rent it out on Airbnb? You know, well, listen, but a clause we, in the lease, we just did that. Yes, you I was going to say, yeah, but is but that know, is that possible? Because yeah. we've had we situations did. in this particular building where we've caught people, you know, the building that I'm always working in, where we've caught people multiple times uh, doing Airbnb, but it's usually the private owners, not the renters, coming in. Uh, although I wouldn't be surprised at that either. I mean, you know, how do you even know sometimes when people come in and say, oh, I'm a guest of so-and-so or, you know, I'm a friend of Vince or I'm going to stay here for, you know, a week. And I mean, because people do do that legitimately, you know, you just yeah. really don't they know. They do, but if you have a high-end condominium, I see, the doormen are a little smarter. That's who's And they them. really That's pay right. attention mm-hmm. and they will ask you know, you've had three guests and none of them look like you. So I don't think they're family and they were only here for a couple days. And sometimes this actually happened to somebody in my office. The doorman called the broker who had represented Mm -hmm. that condominium rental to ask them about it. And the broker called the owner and said, you're in deep doo-doo. You know, the, the, the building is very suspicious of this. And are you doing an Airbnb? And... Yeah. Well, yeah. the one thing is, I will say that the smarter tenants that try to do this, they don't go into doorman buildings. They usually go into, they go into walk-ups or yeah. they go into elevator buildings. Yeah. And I even had one. Uh, this is like a friend of a friend was just talking to me in a bar or something, and he told me their whole strategy was to go on, ideas. go on. I know, but I, I'm, I want the ideas out there because I, I want people to look at this stuff. Is they would go online and look at bad reviews against landlords and they purposely go into the buildings where the landlords got terrible reviews because the, the thing the theory is these landlords clearly don't care about the tenants we can go hog wild in this building which is it's just terrible you know it's just terrible and the, the problem is rampant and we all know people that are doing it and i mean it's just it's just uh, it's just really sad to me but no. honestly i have to say this like as a broker of course you know we're not fans of airbnb but to me I don't understand what the big, huge stink is if it is a walk-up rental building where people are just, and and Airbnb does have certain um, things in place that even makes it possible, right? Like back in the day, nobody would have put their apartment on Airbnb. Why? Because somebody could just steal things. You know, there's there's no sort of regulation or no safety net. But the way Airbnb does it, I think it's a really intelligent model. And I think, you know, 
I mean, now I probably sound like I'm a complete hipster, which, you know, I'm a meditator and everything else. So, you know, but the fact of the matter to me is that, you know, we, we're living in a changing world and where shared sort of models of business are becoming more and more prevalent. Um, barter models are becoming more and more prevalent. And I don't think that's such a bad thing. I really don't. So when you're, an, I think when you're an owner has an apartment, it's a little different. It's your asset. You own the asset. If you're a renter, although I still think there's a lot of problems with that because people who buy in buildings did not buy assuming that there's going to be people I'm not talking about in. condos and co-ops. Right. Okay, so, I'm really talking more about rental okay, buildings so let's talk about rental where buildings. there's so, in and right. out people so throwing the with the rental parties, building, et cetera. Right, you know? sorry. The, the problem yeah. with the rental building, though, is that you're now taking someone else's asset. You're taking someone else's asset that they own mm-hmm. and you're renting it out on a nightly basis to get a lot of money for it. Just from an economic perspective, it's not right. The owner, I have owners that are livid at someone that's doing this. They're having all these, remember, you're an owner. You vetted these people to come in your apartment, this one person to be there for two years. Okay. Now you're going to have every night a different person who's not been vetted. That's not fair. You paid a million dollars for your apartment. You have now someone who's renting your apartment and they're now renting but out I really to someone think else that, that's not vetted. I mean, look, you. I'm not saying that everybody on Airbnb is going to be responsible responsible. However, it's their furniture, their TV, their bedding, their whatever else, you know, that they've purchased. They also don't want their stuff to get trashed, even if they're using it for Airbnb, what you think these people want to change that stuff out every month, right? Yeah, but I'm not even talking about trashing. I'm talking about, and this happened once, um, mm -hmm. I had an owner who was subletting Mm -hmm. a a co-op. The guy looked perfect on paper, mm-hmm. a lot of income. He was a surgeon. He was gorgeous. He was young. Every, everything was perfect with him. Mm-hmm. And it turned out he had a horrible temper. And what he would do was he'd pace up and down the hallways on his phone, screaming and banging on the walls of the building to make points. Now, if you're having a different person every night, well, you know, to make points on the phone, you know, <laughs> and this and that and this and, you know, banging on the walls. Now, if you have an Airbnb you next door to you and you live there and you have two of these people a week who they could have loud parties, doesn't matter if they're, maybe they're not trashing things. Right. But they could cause such a disruption on the floor to the people who live there. But then there would be a, the a complaint to the landlord, right? And then Sometimes. that would get curbed. But I don't know. Sometimes. I just I just feel that there's, I'm not necessarily so opposed to. Well, wait until one I, moves next door to you. No, I know. <laughs> Perula, I hear yeah. your point. But, you know, one of the things, and this is, Deborah can probably attest to this better than all of us, you know, this is why co-ops don't allow, you know, um, subletting really, they don't allow uh, pied-a-terres. They, they, they don't really encourage. They don't set up the, these apartments to, to encourage anybody to have others in there because, quite frankly, especially in this town, when you're spending the kind of money you're spending, whether it's a co-op or a condo, you want to know who your neighbors are pretty consistently. And so people coming and going in a hotel-like environment – uh, you know, or just in a pied-a-terre kind of environment or parents buying and having their children, you know, come on weekends Party and have houses. parties. You know, this is why co-ops have been successful, even though everybody complains about it. But, you know, their business model, I believe, is pretty pretty solid when it yeah. comes to that. Now, on the condo side, even outside of the, even outside of the Airbnb stuff that's been happening, at the end of the day, you can – Buy it, never move into it. You can have it as a pied-a-terre. You can have it as a party place. You can buy it for your kids to come and go as they please on weekends. That's a drawback to condominium. And some of the fancier ones, you know, kind of, you know, try and avoid that. But you know what? It's Mm. allowed because it is a condo and there aren't uh, such strict rules. But this whole Airbnb thing, I think, I'm not a big fan of it. I think, you know, when it's done properly, okay. But then I say to myself, how proper is proper? 
you know, I don't know. On the rental side, when people rent apartments for, say, $2,000 a month, okay, rental building, walk-up building, non-dormant building, you know, typical New York rental, and turn around and, and can get two and $300 a night by doing this. I, I happen to know somebody, a friend of a friend of a friend, who's been doing this for years and is making a fortune, hasn't lived in his rental apartment for years because it's his business doing what he's doing. Apparently, no one cares. No one pays attention. I don't know that the landlord knows. But I guess some people are making a big profit by doing this, and some people are getting caught. So I don't know. It's been written up. We're going to do a whole show. I keep saying this, but we're going to do a whole show on this actual Airbnb um, phenomenon now around the world. I got to tell you something. Friends of mine just came back from Europe, and I, this I really enjoyed. Came back from Europe, and I said, so where did you stay? Where, you know, whatever. And they stayed in Airbnbs Yeah, I just did that, too. Europe. All over Europe. I, I did All that, too, and it's Europe, so and it much nicer. I mean, uh-huh. we were, like, in the first Aaron Desmond in Paris. Like, it was yeah. this beautiful, cute little place. The woman worked next door. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it was quaint. It was lovely. That and I, I would answer. rather have that experience than staying in a hotel. And that's what other people feel when they come to New York City. So I, I agree. So I think that, and not only that, but I think that the way the rating system is, everything else, ultimately, if somebody actually doesn't treat your property with respect, they get a bad review. And then that person is going to have a hard time ever renting anywhere else. So people, from my understanding, is are, and I mean, I know we left the place spick and span when we left Paris, which is not what you do when you leave a hotel room, no. you know? So it's like we, we left the place with the trash mm-hmm. taken out and the beds made you know but what it's, I mean it's very, this, so Airbnb I just want to say is a brilliant business model for brilliant. certain things brilliant. And, and I'm not knocking them as a company Agreed. however when you deal with city living I think there it, it it all of a sudden it becomes unfair to a lot of people except for the tenant who's profiting on it. That's really the only person exactly who's benefiting. Right. You can make the argument right. the person coming in is also benefiting. But the rest of the building, is it fair to the rest of the building who did not sign up for this? When well, they sign if, their if, rent? When if they... people are problematic, then I think you have a point. But I think that if people are gen- – I mean, think about this. What does that mean, most of the people, Most people who are going to use an Airbnb are coming to hang out in the city. They're not even using the place for more than just sleeping, right? How do you mean? So, Maybe. Right. I'm not I, saying that. You just don't know. You well, don't but, know. But, yeah. but, the, but the other part of this is this, which is in condos <laughs> and in rental buildings, you're not living in a co-op. If somebody's renting in a co-op, I get it, right? But if you're just renting, I think, you know what? My point of view is this. To me, if I'm living somewhere and I'm a renter, I have a security deposit down. If anything is broken, whatever, you can charge me at the end of it, right? The other part of it is, I guess I'm just somebody who doesn't like to be told what to do very often. So if I own a condo, I want to be able to use it however I want to use it, like that's my home. Buy well, what a, right. Well, what about and the so rights of I just, other people in the building? That's, yeah. that's the key floor. here. It's about, well, it's yeah, about but on then your floor, if you above really you, are, below yeah, you. Yeah, but right. if you're that concerned, then go live in a co-op. No, no, it's, you know? we, live, we live in a vertical city. We always right. have people above us and below us. I understand that. And we have, and it's more a matter of people, especially if they're coming from the Midwest or places, or people who don't live in a vertical city, don't realize that if they're, they're a nice family and their son is bouncing a basketball on the floor at 11 p.m., it's bothering the people behind them. All right, let's hold the thought. We'll, We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. We do have to go to break. We're coming right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. Let's and go. I wanted to go back to the Airbnb conversation. It wasn't a planned topic today, but it came out. It's a hot topic today. It's a hot topic, but it came out of our rental discussion. But you know what's important? And I just wanted to clarify, you know, two final points. And Phil wanted to say something. Parul, you 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 mentioned the safety net aspect of um, this. And Phil, you talked about what the people in the rest of the building feel about this or how they feel secure or insecure with, you know, relative strangers coming through. And the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, when you're putting your when you're putting your apartment on the market in an Airbnb scenario, you know you this is your home that you have your private things and your private you know possessions, and so people again relative strangers are coming in spending a night or two or five whatever it is, and you know how do you control what they may or may not do? And I don't mean wreck the place or make a mess of the place. I mean that's one issue, but what about theft and stealing? You know we have some really valuable things in our apartments. So how do we deal with that? And and from what I understand, there's a and I don't I'm not sure about this, but I believe the 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 revolutionary thing Airbnb did is that if there is anything that is stolen or whatever, their insurance actually covers it. Mm-hmm. So if you report a theft then it's actually covered. So I think, and also, you know who just stayed there, et cetera. So then there's repercussions, there's uh, security deposits, et cetera. So there's a whole, you know, that's what I meant by the safety net, that I think that they're doing it in a way that if there's any major complaints and you give somebody a bad review, nobody else is going to want to rent to them, et cetera. There's no question that Airbnb is probably covering all that, believe me. They really are, you know? But the reason is because they're in so much hot water legally with New York City that Mm -hmm. if someone just as much as says, oh, I think someone did something, okay, no problem. We'll cover it. Um, we'll pay for it. I mean, so they're really very aggressive about that. They have a whole campaign going, you know, lobbying the city and stuff like that. Um, but I was just going to say, like, if you were to ask everyone in the building and get permission from them and say, is it okay? We're all going to Airbnb our build, you know, our units. Is that okay? Then it's fine. But I almost guarantee you that if you asked everyone in the building and said, is it okay if I do this and bring a stranger in, you know, throughout almost all of them are going to say no. And to me, that's the gut feel of why it's wrong. Because if you were to actually ask people, hey, neighbors, I'm looking to do this. I'm going to bring strangers in here. And you, know, you could even say that it's on a platform that's vetted somewhat, you know, no matter what. But you ask people if that's what they want, and they're going to say no. Because mm-hmm. the only person that really benefits 
is the person who's actually collecting this monthly or this, sorry, this uh, nightly rate. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, though, is here's a place where it's, I think, legal, really, is if you have a townhouse or a brownstone. Yeah. So now you have a single standing yeah. structure. There's no other neighbors mm-hmm. necessarily, right? Then it's okay. Especially and would, if you have multiple units in your, or, or at least a garden unit. That's, that's right. ideal. That's right. And so when you guys talk about going to Paris and using it and you have like a little, I, I don't know if you have it like a little. It was in a building, though. Oh, it was, was Okay. <laughs> but a lot of these places you go, like a vacation home, we used Airbnb, we went, we went away. It was amazing, right? Yes. I mean, you know, and, and I think it's, in most of these places, it's legal. But the reason why New York City is giving, giving uh, Airbnb such a hard time isn't just because, it's not just the hotel lobby. It's no. not just the hotel no. lobby. Because look at the people on this panel. We're talking, I have landlords that are vehemently opposed to this mm-hmm. and I really believe a lot of it is because again would you be able to get the permission of everyone in the building and the answer is no, no. most of them would say no most so that are. should tell you what the correct answer is I uh, think listen in, I agree yeah. in addition I was in a condo building a couple weeks ago and you know sometimes the hallways curve mm-hmm. you know you have to turn around to the other side and there were these big gashes in the corner of one of the things and the prospective buyers I had with me said, what's this? I said, I don't know. It looks like somebody was not moving carefully. That's why you give a move in, move out deposit Mm -hmm. to the board, whatever. Mm -hmm. And just as I was saying that, someone came out of her apartment who was right near us and said, no, it's those damn Airbnb people around the corner. They're always smashing their suitcases into the corner here. And no one says anything. It's going to cost us a fortune to fix it. And the hallways were just redone two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay. And this was not a cranky person who, she obviously had a gripe with this. She didn't strike me as someone who had nothing to do but complain. But- you know, it feels right. I am very in favor of Airbnb in many places, but you have to be so careful in Manhattan when you share your living quarters with everyone. I agree. So let, let's we're, we're going to pick that topic up again uh, coming up soon. It is a very important. There are both sides to the story. Again, I'm kind of mixed. I'm on both sides of the fence where where it's concerned around the world. When you want to live, you know, a vacation rather, it's perfect. But in New York City, I don't know. There are too many. Um, too many what ifs in my mind. So let's uh, moving on to say real estate regrets. Everybody has real estate regrets. We've all had a few. Even the best prepared buyer, renter, or seller in this market is bound to have a story about ill-advised roommates, landlord, red flags, or apartments in up-and-coming neighborhoods that they should have bought when the getting was still good. Because misery loves company, and because we can all learn something from each other's missteps. What are some regrets that you've been aware of, either personally or from your clients? I mean, I can I can write a book on the the real estate that I should have bought and didn't buy, didn't like this, too small, whatever, because uh, I was buying apartments, you know, for for a period of time, you know, one here, one there, whatever. But I made a lot of mistakes because I should have bought a lot of apartments and a lot of buildings on a lot of beautiful boulevards here in this town and didn't for stupid reasons and they're now worth lord knows what so (laughs) i mean we all have regrets Mm -hmm. so since i'm from here in the area this is a common conversation at all of my family's jewish holidays (laughs) Um, everyone's constantly (laughs) talking about all of them um you cannot get a word in when real estate comes up i should have bought this i should have kept that oh my god it's (laughs) seriously Um, Um, But I do have two really good stories. One is one of my clients who wound up buying last year in Sutton Place. And she bought for just under $2 million, like $1.9. And she said, oh, I should have listened to you a couple of years ago when you told me to buy the apartment on the floor above this one for $1.5 
and now she's a floor below it and paid almost a half million more. And I said, it's completely fine. Just listen to me next time. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think it's a constant thing with everyone. I also, one of my most recent, one, one of the most recent apartments I just sold and closed on was up in Harlem in the first high rise up there. And the seller, who's one of my favorite clients, just had his, his first kid and his wife made him move out to Long Island. There wasn't even a question. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, he loved living up in Harlem. And he said to me, oh, why didn't you tell me to buy three of these apartments in this building when I first bought? Because he bought from the developer and um, he bought for something like 700000 and we just sold it for one2 in the span of three and a half years mm-hmm. and and he was like if I would have known yeah. I think it's such a common phrase yeah. but well, on the other end I, I have a story that just I feel not so great about in the sense <laughs> that um, I have these friends of mine for years and who are my clients and I sold them this incredible apartment um, on the border of Dumbo and Vinegar Hill mm-hmm. and it's they have great outdoor space the apartment's gorgeous like it was it was a great great purchase and completely like nothing anybody could have controlled but they were pregnant when they moved into this place and after they moved there and they looked at school districts and whatnot the line of the school district changed right around the time that they had their baby and they are now in like a terrible school according to them versus a what was was a really great school just because of the delineation shift and obviously that affects the the property value it affects what they're going to do with their child so you know Stuff happens sometimes that's so outside of your control, even if you do all the right things, you know? Just like buildings being built right in front of your view. (laughs) It's a very similar thing. So I think you're absolutely right with the fact that regrets go both ways in this city. Yes. Because I think you can almost never know sometimes on both ends. Yeah. But do you think that it's a more matter of people, and let's talk about buyers, for example, that, you know, but buyers just can't. I mean, and for a host of reasons, probably just can't decide what they want to do, whether it's a good market or a bad market. You know, do I really want to buy, especially first time buyers? Do I really want to buy? Oh, my God, it's my life savings. Well, what happens if the market crashes? I don't really know if if I really love that neighborhood. I mean, all of these things, I think, at times keep people from actually pulling the trigger. Does it turn into regret at, at one point? I think so. I mean, uh, I've seen customers, and Matt, Matt mentioned one just a bit ago, that do do that because they're on the fence. And then, you know, six months later or a year later, it's up $500,000 or it's up 100000 whatever the number is. So there are regrets all over the place. But I think it's just human nature from what I can see in this town, and I've not sold real estate outside of Manhattan, that people are always skittish and skeptical and yes they want to pull the trigger but oh my god should I and I also believe it's because the price point here is so much more than anywhere else in the world and that's it and that's, that, and that's, that's definitely it, it. Exactly. and that's it because we we invest so much more where others don't have to and yet get the same asset that and also the fact that you know you're you're competing with really in my opinion only two other cities in in the world really you know in terms of price comparison you have San Francisco which is very high and you have London and i was actually just talking to a broker last week who referred me a client at everyone's going to kill me for not pronouncing this right but or just saying the right name but it's night something in london the, Knight the Frank? firm night Frank. Frank. there right. we go yeah. 
Love that name. Um, I but do too, actually. He, he referred me to someone. He said, just be aware, we tried buying here, and they were very hesitant in pulling the trigger. You know, to us, these numbers, <laughs> my coworkers will say something like, oh, you know, you're so lucky to find a one bedroom under a million. It's like 980,000. And sometimes you just have to sit back and say, wow, you're talking about a one bedroom mm-hmm. apartment for a million dollars, where in right over the water in New Jersey, you can buy a four or five bedroom house in many places for but just under a million. Exactly. So I talked about this at the start of the show. So I think it makes it tough for people to see that number and say, wow, this is a big thing for my life and my savings. Um, I have, uh, I'll just have a slight uh, different take on the regret factor from a buyer. So my story would be that I, and I learned a lot from this is during a bidding war. So what happened was um, when I first started in my career, I, you know, I, I, I was a lot nicer, a lot more naive, I guess not nicer, but You're more still naive. Nice, I'm still nice. Still nice. He's so but, nice. But when I say, when I say nice, meaning like they didn't want to go higher in the bidding war and yeah. they really love this apartment yeah. and they were trying to strategically think, well, I'm sure people would not go to this price because of these reasons. And of course they lost it and they lost that apartment. And I felt terrible. That was the lesson is that here I am trying to be so nice and not pushing them to a price. But I felt terrible because they didn't get the apartment of their dreams. And the lesson was, I just wanted to make sure in any future bidding war that I really harped on, listen, you have to put other people out of your mind during this. What do you think this is worth and what are you willing to pay for it? And if you lose it by $5,000, which is what they did, mm-hmm. are you going to regret it and kick yourself? And you have to really think about that. And I have to say, like when I bought my apartment, I applied that same tactic and I went way over ask, never looked back, love the apartment. There are like seven other offers on it. And and so because I actually kind of practiced what I preached, I feel the, felt the confidence that I could speak this way to buyers as well. And I think it's really, really helped. You know? And I want to touch on a little more right after the break. We're coming back with Perul, Phil, Deborah, and Matt right after the break. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for our last segment, and we're talking to Perul Brombat. 
from uh, like Compass, um, Phil Horgan from LeaseBreak.com, Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, and Matthew Cohen mm-hmm. from Core <clears throat> Real Estate. All right, so let's let's just pick up and finish our point on the last conversation. So my question about regret uh, here is, and Phil, you mentioned it before. So, you know, sometimes you get into a, a bidding war and sometimes you have to pay overprice and sometimes buyers get, you know, a little skittish with that and they say, you know what, I don't want to do this. But then sometimes in just normal negotiations and not a bidding war scenario, not a multiple offer scenario, buyers will lose an apartment, sellers will lose a sale because they're five or $10,000 apart. And we all sit here as professionals and think, you know what, this is crazy. How could this be? If you're spending all these you know, millions of dollars, in some cases, $800,000 or whatever, clearly over five hundred for everything in this town. What is another ten dollars or $15,000? And not like we're trying to spend the buyer or seller's money, but at the end of the day, it's called reality. And at the end of the day, it's called probably good business. But we deals get broken all the time over this. I have to assume in all of your, your, your businesses, including mine, that these are huge regrets sometimes, mostly for the sellers and oftentimes for the buyers when they sit back and they peel back the onion and realize, okay, so I'm not getting another deal so quickly. Why was I being so quick to make a decision to break a deal for $10,000? For the listening audience out there, I think we sort of jumped into this topic really fast. Mm-hmm. So if you don't live in New York City, um, one of the things that happens here quite often is there's multiple people bidding on the same apartment wanting to buy it. So in this conversation, it is, you know, the asking price could be $2 million. And now all of a sudden it's, you know, you the broker will say, I've got seven bids coming in. And that's if they want to be generous enough to tell you how many bids there's coming in, there are coming in. And they say, we're going to do a best and final, which is put in your best and highest offer in the next 48 hours. And uh, we're going to make a decision based on whoever bid the highest. So that means that the asking price was just a suggested price. Mm-hmm. And now, now everything is going to get bid up above that price. Now, sometimes the bidding wars, if the depending on how the apartment is priced might fall within ten to twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand dollars above the asking price. Sometimes it can go up to two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars more than the asking price. So, as a broker, it is so incredibly difficult to advise your client in these scenarios. And I know most of us, probably on this panel, really end up just sort of saying, "Okay, if you like, what is the highest?" possible dollar that you'd want to spend on this apartment so that if you lost it for $5,000 more, you'd say, you know what? That was the best. That was all I was willing to put into this. And that is sort of the advice that we have to give to our clients. Um, But a lot of times they lean on us to say, you know, what can we do? Where can we, where can, where should, where do you think we should put in this bid? And it's a very difficult question. So when uh, I get asked that question all the time, so where should we come in? You're the expert, you know. Um, I never give an exact number. Mm-hmm. First of all, there's no way I could know an exact number. Exactly. There's no way, no matter who you are, if you're the smartest broker, you've been doing this for the longest in the world, there's no way you'll know exactly what it's going to go for because you never know how crazy the other buyers are. Absolutely. Um, however, here's what I, we all, we do have a lot of experience. So here's what I do do because we do tend to know. Like, we'll, like if you said, well, if someone asked me, well, Phil, do you think it'll go for this? I could probably say, no, definitely not or good chance, right? So I give percentages. I'll say, well, mm-hmm. look, I think this range 50% If you go to this number, you'll have a 50% chance of getting it. If you go to this number, 80% chance. And these are real numbers that I believe 
will be the case based on all my experience, you know? Buyers love it because now you're giving them some information and they know nothing's 100%. So obviously nothing I say is 100%. Even if they're going to go a million dollars above, I'm not going to say 100%. I might say 99% because you just don't know. And I love that Mm -hmm. because you're taking taking a situation of a bidding war, which is very uncertain, almost like a poker face, and you're making it very analytical. You're making it very statistical, which for (laughs) a buyer makes them more comfortable because Mm -hmm. you're giving them more concrete evidence, in my opinion. Absolutely. But let me ask you something. So, I mean, I agree with all of you. So, I mean, that makes our job even more difficult. But do you think how – let me better phrase that. How do you think the buyers really – because they, they jockey from one type of market to another. How do you think the buyers deal with all this when, you know, they really are uncertain sometimes what the price should be so they'll ask the expert. And as Phil said, he'll give a range or percentage or whatever. I do the same thing because even sometimes – I don't know the absolute number, and you know, this is not a business of absolute. You know, it's here's, certain things. Yeah. Here's a good trick that I think really helped me in a very specific scenario. So, I, this was one of those things where I felt like I was so tested as a broker. You know, um, there was an apartment, uh, one bedroom converted to two, two bathrooms, a thousand square feet co op um, that was listed right under the million mark. And the broker was kind enough to say that he had about 13 bids coming in on this apartment. And I believed him. So um, because I just saw how the apartment showed, how beautiful it was. And because I knew, because with this buyer, I had been working all around town, looking at everything under about $1.3 million, that I knew what the comparative apartments look like that when they said to me you know really how much higher should we go like initially they're like okay we'll go fifty thousand dollars above the asking price and I'm shaking my head no like this is going to go way above that so they kept saying so they're like okay well what do you think and I said look you guys know the rest of the market that is about apartments roughly this size in co-ops what they look like and how beautiful this is in comparison I think it's going to go about $200,000 above the asking price, which sounds insane, um, at, especially at that price point. And they listened to me and they went in at 1186 and uh, they got beaten out. And I said to them, I said, you should be closer to 12. I said, if you really want to snag this, I would even go 1205, like just over the brink. The bid that beat them out was 1995. Good right. on you, though. So isn't it? Good but it's you. about when you know yeah. the market, when you know the market and you do your research, there is a little bit of rhyme and reason unless there's just a crazy person who comes in and bids 400000 above. And in that case, you know, your buyer's going to say, well, I wasn't going to do that anyway, you right. know? Absolutely. And it shows how great you are, by Aww, the way, not to, not to toot your, you. your horn. <laughs> but that's it's a really true. tough one because yeah. when it you're is. around that million mark, Buyers are very, very hesitant with the mansion tax because you do think, you know, even though there are so many offers, Mm -hmm. are there so many offers over the ask? Because aren't all the buyers around a million dollars thinking the same thing about the mansion tax? So good on you. That's another ten thousand. Good on you. All right, last topic for the morning. What's been touted for months as New York City's most expensive condo is finally here. Vernado Realty Trust has revealed plans for a four-floor apartment at 220 Central Park South, and it will cost a jaw-dropping. $250 $250 million. Really? That's all. This according to the real deal. <laughs> yes. Spare <laughs> You know, really. Okay. I just broke out into a cold sweat. That's a, that's a Saturday <laughs> afternoon purchase, okay? So, you know, my, my question is, we got one minute left. Who's going to buy this? $250 million. Who's buying this? 
Oh, good. I'd love to know. (laughs) I heard that if Donald Trump wins, it's going to be the White House. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I think we're going to have to pour golden marble all over the top with all the the horse manure on Central Park (laughs) South. Exactly. I think there is so much inventory in the super high end, ultra luxurious market right now that has been sitting for over a year. That we don't know who's going to buy this. We don't know if this apartment is even going to still be at that price, at that size. The developer may panic in a year or two, depending on what the market does, and cut it in half and sell it as two apartments. I think it's going to be cut several times yep. before it's finished. I hate to cut you yep. off, but we are done for the day. That is Good Morning New York for this week. Thank you for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or at vincerocco.com for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.